But this week's Haftarah basically are the spies that Yeshua sent. And the advertisement that we advertised was the heroes of this week's Haftarah. Obviously, that could be debated. But to me, the amazing heroes in this week's Haftarah are, first of all, the two spies that Yeshua sends, which Rashi brings are Kolev and Pinchas, who had previously, Pinchas had been also in this week's Parsha, successful as a spy and achieved amazing things. And we also have Kolev and Pinchas earlier in uh, Parsha's uh, Matos, it says that Moshe sent spies to spy out the town of Yazer by Yilf, and they captured it. Instead of spying it, they just captured it themselves, which was uh, Pinchas and Kolev took over a whole city on their own, and therefore they were the trusted spies. And we find a number of amazing things about the spies in this week's Seder, in this week's Haftarah, Pinchas and Kolev. First of all, to point out, which this can actually be found in the end of Yehoshua Perek Vov. In the end of Yehoshua Perek Vov, there's an amazing Rashi, where Rashi brings over there, they're called by Yavoyu Haneorim Hameraglim, the young spies. And they took out Rochav and her father and her mother, who saved them, and they brought them outside the camp of Yisrael. Rashi over there brings an amazing Rashi. Rashi says, here where they had to save Rachel's family, they needed special encouragement. They became like young guys. They weren't young at all. I know that uh, we don't have Pinchas's exact age, but we know that Kalev at this time was 79 years old because we know clearly that when he was sent as a spy in the Parsha, he was 40. That's a Pasuk in Yeshua. So Rashi says, they were like young, amazing young people. And then Rashi says, on the first night when they were in Rachel's house, because as we know, the spies went to spy Yerichai and they stayed in the house of this lady Rachel, who wasn't necessarily the best of people. So that night they were kimalochim, they were like angels. That they guarded themselves from doing any sin with Rachov. Rachov's house was not the best of places, and these people guarded themselves from doing a sin with Rachov, and that's why they are called Malochim. So, therefore, we have them called Neorim, we have them called Miraglim, we have them called Malochim. Neorim, because of the, even though the youth with which they acted, even though they were older people, they were called malachim because they were like angels. They had no Yitzhahara. And they were meraglim because they were spying and they're called anoshim as well. Okay. Now, uh, just to mention now, the spies go to spy the city of Yericha. Yeshua sends them. And in the beginning of this Haftarah, if we read from the very beginning, and if anybody, I don't have it on the screen this year, so if anybody has either the, the Haftarah or Yehoshua chapter 2, the first Pasuk, if we read, it says, Vayishlach Yehoshua bin Nun min hamishitim shnayim anoshim meraglim. Yehoshua sends two spies, cheresh. An interesting word, the spies are sent as cheresh. Check out the land and the city of Yerichai. 
Now for the word cheresh, what does that word mean? Rashi brings three meanings. The first thing Rashi says is beroz, secretly. He says, asu atzmechem. Rashi says, omar lohem asu atzmechem kecharoshim. Pretend you are deaf. They won't hide their words. They'll speak openly in front of you. Another pshat Rashi brings, so one second, Rashi brings three meanings. Number one, cheresh is beroz secretly. Number two, pretend to be deaf. And number three, cheresh is from the word cheresh, pottery. Go and sell pottery that you're there, you're coming not as spies, but you're coming as salesmen selling pottery. There's the Svasemis, who's one of the Gedadebis, points out, okay, salesmen, I understand, but why specifically are they selling pottery? So the Svasemis brings that pottery is made of earth. They have no value of their own. Their only value is the usage. And the same thing is these two men, Yehosh, Pinchas and Kohli, they felt that their whole purpose, their whole existence, is only their shlichus. They were able to numb all their personal feelings because to go to a house of Rachov, which is the house they went to, if anybody had any personal feelings and any personal Yetzirah, this was a terrible place to go to. And they were able to totally numb their feelings and their whole purpose was like pottery that has no value in itself. Its value is only its usage. And that's how the Svasemis explains why specifically they went selling pottery, which just to mention, the amazing thing is that these spies were so holy that they made an impact. This Rachov was not the best of people. As we read on in the Pasuk, they, they came to a woman who was a Zoyna. Now a Zoyna has multiple definitions. Rashi brings from Targum Yoinason that Zoinus from the word Mizoinus. She had a hotel and she had accommodation and she had meals and she ran a business, a legal business. However, as we look further, that this was not her main business. We find later in Pasuk Yud Aleph when Rachav, Rachav, by the way, had already decided to save them before she was inspired by them because she wanted to save them because she was hoping that by saving them, she would save her family, which she did save her family. However, initially she was only gonna save them for personal reasons. Later we find during the Haftarah that Rachav does the most amazing level of teshuva. And as I wrote in the advertisement, three heroes of this week's Haftarah, for me, the three heroes are the two spies, Kolev and Pinchas, who were mem, tzaddikim of the highest caliber, that they inspired Rachav, and just as much and maybe more, Rachav herself is an ama amazing hero, because Rachav, after 40 years of sinful life, had a total transformation that night because of how much she was inspired from the spies. We find, I'm just not going to go straight, I'm going to go now to Pasuk Yur Aleph, if anybody has Yehoshua Perek Beis, where Rachav tells them that everybody's frightened of you, and it says over there, and Rashi says, 
besides selling mizoinus, was also a prostitute and also ran a business. And he says over here in Rashi, Amru, Every officer, every king, every nobleman of Canaan had relations with Rochav Hazayna. She was the top Zayna of the whole land of Canaan. She was 10 years old when the Jews left Egypt. And Rashi says, She committed adultery. She was a prostitute. For, for money, she ran a business of prostitution for 20, for 40 years. So she was quite a low life, this Rochav. Now, the amazing question is, if for somebody who is so low and so down, is it possible for such a person to do Teshuvah? And then as we read on in the Haftarah, with, we'll read it carefully with Rashi, we read about the amazing Teshuvah of this Rachav Hazaina. Yes, she hides the spies. Yes, we have, as we read on in the Haftarah, just to go through quickly, that the king of Yericha hears that the Jews came to spy the land, and they she tell he that they're in the house of Rachav, and he has Rachav tell them to bring them out, and Rachav hides the people, and she says, Dear, yes, they came, I don't know where they went, and they left. And meanwhile, Rachav hides them in, among some flax, and she tells them, that all the, everybody is discouraged and swear to me that you will save my family and leave my family alive. And they agree to do this. And then we read an amazing thing. We read in Pasuk Tesvav, She lowered them in a rope from the window. She lowered them with a rope. And he says, she lowered them with a rope. Rashi says an amazing thing. They, she had a window, and actually, let me first read the passage. She lowered them with a rope. Her house was inside the wall. She lived in the wall. So there was a window in her house that went outside the city. So she lowered them with this rope and let them outside the city. Rashi says, and she lowered them with this rope. Rashi says, It was the same rope that the adulterous men would go up to her. In other words, there were people from inside the city. There were two entrances to her house. One was from inside the city. And then she had clientele from elsewhere who would come up with this rope. So she says, Amra, she says, Master of the world, with these I sinned, with these forgive me. Which we see from here that on that night, Rachav made a decision on that night that she would do teshuva, she would return, she would repent. She had 40 years of terrible sinful life. She would not be sinful anymore. And amazing that she kept her resolution for the rest of her life. And the resolution was so deep that if we go on to the next Pasuk, Tez Zion 16, where Rachav advises them, and she says to them, go to the mountain, lest the people who are chasing after you 
will find you and you should hide in the mountain three days. So how does she know? Rashi wants to know, how does Rachav know that specifically has to hide in the mountain three days? So Rashi says, Ad Rashi says, Rachav saw with Ruach HaKodesh, Rachav saw that they would read that they would that the chasers, the chasing people, would chase the spies for three days and they would give up. That's why she recommended that the spies remain in the mountain for three days. Amazing. This Rachav had been a very sinful woman for 40 years. So, how does a woman who is so sinful get to a Chakodesh? But generally, it says that at a level where a Balchuva stands, a complete Sadiq cannot be at that level. And Rachav did the highest level of Teshuva. And therefore, from 40 years of sin within a few minutes, she had a full transformation. Yes? Question? Maybe I'm just going to mute everyone. Unmute yourself if you have a question so we don't get interrupted if it's not a, a serious question. But if you have a serious question, you're welcome to unmute yourself. Okay, so in any case, Rachov, in those few moments, did the highest level of teshuva, had a total change, and such an extent was Rachov's total change that we find later, we find a Gemara, we find it in Dradak on the Tanakh, we find a Gemara, we find it also in Mefarshim, that Rachov becomes a Balas Teshuvah of the highest level, and she ends up marrying Yeshua bin Nun, who took over the leadership of the Jewish people after Moshe, which I wanted to start first from the Radak and then read the Gemara. In the, the end of the story of the Meraglim, you have in Perek Vav, which is not part of the Haftarah, where over there it says that Yeshua tells the two spies to come to Rachav's house and save all of her family, as was promised, and they saved her whole family. And then it says in Pasuk Chafhei there, Perek Vav, Pasuk Chafhei, Ves Rachav Azayna, Ves Beis Aviyah, Ves Kol HaShalah, Hechei Yehoshua, Yehoshua kept them alive. Vateishet Bekerev Yisroel, Ad Hayoyim Azen, she settled in the midst of the Jewish people, because she hid the spies that Yeshua sent to spy the city of Yerichai. Uh, Radak says, first of all, Yeshua Radak brings that he told them to guard the promise. They promised to save Rachab and they saved her life. Then Radak says, Hechia could also mean they gave her food, they gave her inheritance, they gave her some land. So she lived amongst the Jewish people. Then Radak brings the Gemara in Megillah Daf Yudalid, Ki Yehoshu'ah Beidrash, Ki Yehoshu'ah Lokach Rochov Leisha. Yehoshu'ah ends up marrying Rochov. Vizehu Hechega, and here is that he kept her alive because by marrying her, first of all, Yehoshu'ah marries Rochov, and Rochov has some of the most amazing Jewish leaders become descendants of Rochov. But not only did it save Rachel, but it changed her whole family. The Radak brings They saw that Yehoshua married Rachel. 
nidbeku beveisa via migdoyle Yisrael. There were many other Jewish people. There were many of the people of Rachav's family who married in with who married in with the Jewish people, and many Jewish people did shiduchim with members of Rachav's family who converted and became Jewish. Then Radak goes on to ask, even though it says by the seven nations, you're not allowed to marry with them. Now it's a question, does that mean only when they're goyim? Or does it mean even when they convert, you're not allowed to marry someone from the seven nations? Different opinions in halakha. But even if it's prohibited to marry someone from the seven nations, so Radak brings that Rachav and her family were nochrim baaretz, they were strangers, and they weren't from the seven nations. Then he brings another opinion, Radak brings that when the Meraglim came to Yericho, she became a convert, convert right then, they had not yet entered Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, the prohibition of marrying in with the seven nations is only for those who convert after the Jews come to Eretz Yisrael, Rachov converted before the Jews came to Eretz Yisrael. And this is only relevant, Radak says, according to the one that says that Loit is Bahem is even when they're going, because it is is even if they are Megai, there's a question. When it says don't marry in with the seven nations, does that mean only when they're going, or does that mean if a person from the seven nations converts and becomes Jewish, you're not allowed to marry in with them as well either? There is actually on this, and again, I didn't manage to get the screen shared. So I'm going to have to get a Gemara now here. But there is a Gemara in Megillah, Daf Yud Dalid. There is a Gemara in Megillah, Daf Yud Dalid, Omud Beis, where over there he brings about Rachov. He says over here, it's the end of Yudalad Amit Beis in Masech the Megillah. Amar Avnachman Chulda. Chulda was a famous Neviah. She was a prophetess. We have two gates of the Beis Hamikdash, of the second Beis Hamikdash, who were known as the Shari Chulda, the gates of Chulda. So he brings over here, Chulda was Mibnei Bonov Shel Yehoshua. She was a descendant of Yehoshua because it says here, Ben Harsim. And it says over there that Yeshua was buried in Timnas Cheres. Then Rav Eina Sama asks that we learned that there were Shmaina Nevi'im Behem Koyhanim. There were eight Nevi'im who were also Koyhanim who descended from Rachav Hazoina. Which, by the way, it's quite interesting that hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, we still continue to call her Rachav Hazoina, which is amazing. She did Teshuvah of the highest level. Why do we still call her Rachav Hazaina? And I don't have a definite answer for this, but it seems to me, perhaps, that Rachav only reached the amazing high level that she reached because she was coming from so low. Because when a person comes from very low and they do Teshuvah of the highest level, the negative actions they did become merits. And Rachav had done 40 years of terrible things. So and she had such a transformation. But here we have again that eight Nevi'im Kehanim come from Rachav Hazaina, and he brings a list of the eight Nevi'im Kehanim. Neiria, Baruch, Baruch ben Neiria, who is the main student of Yirmiyahu, Sroya, Masaya, Yirmiyahu, the famous Yirmiyahu, 
Chilke Yehu, Hanamel, and Shalom. Shalom is the one who we recently had a shear about who came back alive from his own funeral, the one that he was dedicated to tzedakah in an amazing way. And the Yehuda Yimer Afcholder Hanaviyah is also a descendant of Rachav Hazayin. It says here, Ben Tikva, and it says there is Tikva Sashani. So he says, so we got a contradiction here. You say that, that the Chulda is a descendant of Yeshua, and here you say it's a descendant of Rachav. So he says, no question. There's no contradiction, the Gemara says, because his Gaira, she converted, Vinosva Yeshua, and Yeshua married her. And from the marriage of Yeshua and Rachav came all these amazing tzaddikim. So the Gemara asks, Did Yeshua have any children? We have a Pasuk, Nun Benoi, we have the lineage of Ephraim, and it ends by Yeshua, from where we learn that Yeshua never had any sons. And the reason Yeshua didn't have any sons is when the Jews were going to war, Yeshua kept the Oroin, which had the Luchais, not in the proper place overnight. And the din is that when the Oroin is not in the proper place, it is prohibited for Jewish couples to have marital relations. And by preventing a whole night of marital relations, he prevented the birth of Jewish children. And therefore, Yeshua was punished that he never had any sons. So how can you say that the Neviah, the prophetess Hulda, is a descendant of the marriage of Yeshua and Rachav if Yeshua was punished and never had any sons? And the Gemara answers, Boni le he never had any sons. Binasan havenle, he had daughters. There is a Taisvis here in Megillah Dafyu Dalad Amit Beis that asks that Rachav converted and she married Yeshua. Taisvis asks Kashia, hey Chanosva, how can Yeshua marry Rachav? We say in the Gemara Yevamis that even Begeirusan, even somebody from the seven nations of Canaan converts, less Behuchasnus, you're not allowed to marry them. So how does Yeshua go and marry Rachav? So Taisvis gives two answers. The first answer he gives, the Lehoisa Mishiva Amomin, she was not from the seven nations, only from the other nations, Ubas Logershom, she came to live in Eretz Yisrael, but she was not one of the seven prohibited nations. That is the first answer of Taisus. Then Taisus gives another answer, which the Radak also gave, that Yesh Mefarshim, there are those who explain, Some say this prohibition of Leishishatin only applies after they entered Eretz Yisrael, before they entered Eretz Yisrael, it didn't apply, and Rachav converted before they entered Eretz Yisrael. But then Taisvis goes on to reject them, to reject this explanation, because it brought, there were Nisinim, there were a group of Kenanim who came and tricked Yeshua and converted through trickery. And um, they were, it was prohibited to marry with them, Either it was prohibited because they're descendants of the seven nations, or it's prohibited because later they were shown to be to not have mercy, but whatever the reason may be. But these there were also, so the Medrash says, it says that they came Gamheim also them. So the Medrash brings that there were also people who came, the Nisinim Bol is Moshe. There was also a group of such people who came in the days of Moshe to convert. 
also through trickery, and they were also made water carry uh, wood choppers and water carriers for the Mishkan. Kemoi be Yeshua, like in the days of Yeshua. Actually, I believe that there should be a Rashi in Chumash Devarim, in Chumash Devarim, in Parsha Nitzavim. I'm just going to double check. Sorry, I didn't, I don't have the thing prepared. Give me just one moment. I'm just going to get a Chumash Devarim and verify that we have this Rashi. But there should be a Rashi in Chumash Devarim. There's a Rashi in Parsha Nitzavim where he brings the 10 levels of Jews who are standing before Moshe Rabbeinu, and one of them is and Rashi over there brings people from Canaan came to convert in the days of Moshe, just like the Gevainim came in the days of Yeshua, and that's why it says by the Gevainim, they also use trickery. So they were the second group. And Moshe made them wood choppers and water carrier, water fishers. Rabbi, yeah. so could I just interrupt with a question? Yes, Maybe please. you answered it now. Um, how could she be Megayer before Yidin went into Eretz Yisrael? Who would be, who would do the actual gear? Okay. You have a very good question. I can't, I was wondering the same thing. I can't answer with certainty. You can't have, say it was Pinchas and Kongli because they're only two, they're not a Besden. I would like to answer that even if the actual Gior took place later, but the resolution for Gior was made then. The right. resolution for Gior was so sincere that you see that she got through a Hakkadish before the Gior. Right. And Thank the you. fact that she got through a Hakkadish before the gear indicates that she had a total transformation. Right. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, just I, I don't really know the answer to this properly, but one of the midrashim that has a very deep effect on me is it says, Pnu, um, there's a story with Yishai, and I mentioned this in Shiurim more than once. Yishai, David's father, was once giving a shiur, and he was saying, any human being from any end of the planet of the globe should turn to Hashem and be saved. And there was this uh, guy who was Yeser HaYishmeili, and he was inspired, and he came to connect to the Jewish people. Eventually, he was Megayer. Eventually, he married Yishai's daughter. But nevertheless, we have this person who, as an Arab, as a guy, was inspired by the words of Yishai Pnuei Laivi Voshem. So this person also, in other words, Yishai was not addressing people, Dafka to be Megayer, but Yishai was addressing to connect to Hashem. And they also have a Pasuk in Ashrei, Koroiv Hashem Lechol Koirov, Lechayil Asher Yikra'uhu Be'emes, that Hashem is close to all those who call him in truth. So again, I don't know the answer to your question. At the end of the day, we must say there's only a yid or a goy. There's nothing in between. Yet you do see by Rachov that at the level when she makes a decision of the giyur, she already becomes on a very high spiritual level. And that seems to be very clear in the case of Rachov. Thank you.
Okay, but I don't really know. At the end of the day, I'm going to have to quote my favorite Gemara in Brachas, which is, Lemad Lashoincha Loimareini Yodaya. Why, why do you say there couldn't be a based in? There were plenty of other Kohenim and. Uh, one uh, second. Rachov was in Yerichoi. Yeah. Pinchas and Kolev were there for one night. Yeah. Furthermore, they came at night and they left at night. A Bezdin doesn't function at night. And also, there were only two of them. There were no other Jews in Yerichoi. The story of um, this story of this Haftoira, we actually have in Rashi an exact date of when it took place. So we really know the exact story of when it happened. Rashi tells us when was this Vayishlach Yeshua bin Nun, the first Rashi in this Haftoira. Rashi says it was during the 30 days of mourning for Moshe Rabbeinu. Because at the end of 33 days, three days after the morning of Moshe Rabbeinu, they crossed the Yardin, the Jordan River. Moshe died on Zion Adar. On the 7th of Nisan, they crossed the Jordan. They, um, was the morning was over. And on the 10th of Nisan, they crossed the Jordan River. So he says, Rashi says, that's where we learn that Moshe died on Zion Adar 33 days uh, back from when they went over the Yardin. Now he says, from when they sent these spies, they didn't cross the Yardin till the fifth day. How do I know? Because they remained on the mountain three days till the Reutfim came back. The night that they left the mountain, that night they arrived to Yehoshua. Yehoshua gets up in the morning and they travel from Shittim to the Yardin, which is the fourth day. And then they crossed the Yardin on the fifth day. So just to summarize, the crossing of the Yardin took place on the 10th of Nisan. The arrival of the Jewish people to Shittim, from Shittim to the Yardin took place on the 9th of Nisan. The return of the spies was the night between the 8th and 9th of Nisan. The three days they were on the mountain were the 6th, the 7th, and the 8th. The night that they were spent, sent the spies because they went at night was the night between the fifth and the sixth. So they went the night between the fifth and the sixth and four days later, the Jews crossed the Yardin. Now, where are they going to get in those four days when there's not likely that any other Jew was in Canaan, a Bezdin of three Jewish Rabbonim to do this gear? I can't say for sure, but highly unlikely. There were only two Jews who were sent to spies to cross the Jordan, and they not a Bezdin, and they were only there at night, and at night there's no Bezdin. As you learn from the Pasuk of Ahoyah, B'yoyim bono. So I don't think the actual gear took, I'm not sure, can't say with certainty, but I don't believe the gear took place before they crossed the Yardin. The resolution for gear was there. She had Ruach HaKadah, she became at Sadeikis. She had her transformation. And the transformation can happen before the gear. In fact, must happen before the gear. Because the Bezdin shouldn't do the gear until there's this transformation. So Hashem knew all this beforehand. Hashem knew so, what? So, so, so that she would, she, that she would uh, have a gear. And uh, she could have had it as soon as uh, she escaped from... Uh, uh, she didn't she, escape and go to the Jewish people. 
she didn't cross the Yardin. The Jewish people met her in Yericho when they came. Yeah. She did not cross the Yardin to go to the Jewish people. She waited till they arrived to her. No, what, I, what I'm saying is when she, uh, when they rescued her, uh, the, the basin could have been constituted then and Hashem knew it beforehand. But one second, that's already after they crossed the Yardin. Yeah. Mrs. Altaus's question was that Rachov's giyur was not till after they crossed the Yardin. Once it's after they crossed the Yardin, in other words, Taisvis and Radak both brought that maybe the prohibition to marry the Knanim was only uh, those who convert those who convert after they cross the Jordan River, the Yardin, and Rachov converted earlier. So the question is, Rachov doesn't, she agreed, she made a decision to convert earlier, but she didn't actually convert earlier. I think we should move ahead and maybe discuss it with me at the end. Okay, so we basically now, still on the topic of Rachov, who to me is one of the top Bali Tshuva and Gaidim ever, um, because of the amazing transformation, just to check, there's oh, one other thing just to mention. It does say that in Rochov's merit, they were, it says by Rochov, not only did they save Rochov's family, but it says in the Pasuk that they saved Mishpichoiseho. The words, it's in the end of Pasuk in Patek Vov, where it says that they saved they took a rach of her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had, and all her families, is plural, it doesn't say family. So there is a Talmud Yerushalmi, Mesechte Brachis, Perek Dalid, Hey, I believe, that over there he says, <coughs> Father Gordon, I have a uh, kasha here. Yeah. Um, and it puzzles me and has it for a long time. Uh, you said that um, her um, house was on the wall of the, of Jericho. Yes. Yet, yeah. we later learned that Joshua and Hadi uh, Kahan and, and the uh, people circled Jericho and her walls collapsed. How did she survive that? Okay, you have a very good question. You have a very good question. Uh, the first thing is, I'm going to quote my favorite answer that teacher tongue to say, I don't know. But my assumption would be, and I can't tell you with certainty, so your guess is as good as mine. But my assumption is it doesn't say that her whole house was in the wall. It doesn't say that. It says that her house there was a window of her house from outside the house. But it doesn't mean that the whole house was within the wall. Now, Correct. also the walls of Yericho, the way they collapsed, they didn't fall over. They didn't fall to the right or to they the sunk. left. They went straight down. Correct. So, so as long as she and her family, who knew that the walls were going to fall straight down, so they would have avoided the part of the house that was on, with, with, that was in the wall, and they could have been in the rest of the house. She had a big house. She was a wealthy woman. The wall sunk down. But the, the Ben's asked question is, yes, the wall sunk. But if they're inside that wall, then they would get hurt. But, the, but here uh, the question I, I actually asked 
that I don't think that wall did her house did collapse because the spies told her to tie a ribbon on that window. So if the wall collapsed and that wall as well, that ribbon would also uh, disappear with the wall. Okay, um, maybe first of all, it does seem that the rescue took a tremendous amount of effort. We had in Perek Vav where it says that they're suddenly called Neorim, young people, because the rescue was very difficult. Now it's very likely that the place where they hang the ribbon was not on the wall that collapsed. She had walls in her house that were in the city because they were inside the city. It's not that if that would have been, if, if a whole house would remain standing as the only house in the wall that remained standing, then it would be obvious. They didn't pick, they only were able to pick it up because of that red string. Correct. So that red string could have been on any window in the, some window in the rest of the house that opened to the city of Yerichai and her whole family was there and the effort to save them was made only because they saw the red string. That's what it seems clear from the story. Yeah, that's why I was puzzled about that because I understood the red string was put on a window from which the spies escaped. No, it doesn't say collection. that anywhere. There's no indication of that. And let me just check. I don't believe there's any such indication. It just says that you should put a red string. Um, I, I'm just going to go to the Pusset and see if there's any such indication. I don't want to make a definite uh, statement. Maybe I'll be reading it wrongly, but... Um... Let me see. You're right. No, you're definitely right. I'm reading now. I take that back. You should let us put the string on the window which you lowered us. That's what so I that's, thought. So the string is on the window in the wall. Correct. Hashem, Hashem could have made an exception to that little part of the wall. Hashem could have easily made an exception, but it's quite clear, and I'm still a very good point, that here the whole wall sank down and this window survived. This window clearly survived. Okay. That's, That's clear, and because... it's clear Ben is right and I was wrong. It's very clear that it's, it says, It is in the window in which you lowered us. Sorry about the mistake. Okay. okay thank you. We okay. were in the middle of something about Rachov's Teshuvah. Oh, what we were going to say was about that her, it says, So the Talmud Yerushalmi brings that even if she had um, 200 relatives and they, and they had, and each of those relatives was connected to 200 other families. It doesn't say that this was the number, but it says it could have even been up to 40,000 people could have been saved. It doesn't suggest that actually that many people were saved. It does bring over there in the Talmud Yerushalmi that it has by Chizkiyahu. It says when Chizkiyahu had a decree, when Yeshayahu Anavi came to visit Chizkiyahu and said he was going to die because he didn't get married. So over there it says that Chizkiyahu, by Yasef Ponov El Hakir, he turned his face to the wall. So over there it says about turning the face to the wall that. Um, even if, I'm not sure if I can find it this moment, but it does say, yes, I am, am able to find it. He have over here, by Yasef Ponovel Hakir, Chizkiyahu turned his face to the wall. 
Be'eza kir nasa enov, which wall did he turn his face? Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi Omer, bekir shel rachav nasa enov. He turned his eyes towards the wall of rachav. It doesn't mean physically he turned his eyes to that wall because Chizkiyah was in Yerushalayim and the wall of rachav was in Yerichai. I don't think you could see from one to the other. But in his mind, he was looking at that wall. As it says, ki beiso bekir ha her house was in the wall. This is all from the Talmud Yerushalmi. Rachav Hazaina saved two people. And look how many Look how many souls you saved for her. As it says, And Reb Shimon says that even if she had in her family 200 people and they went and married, they're all saved in our merit. So now my ancestors encouraged so many gaidim, which here you see that even though we're very strict on gear, we're very strict on gear only because we want only the most sincere of gaidim. But my fathers who encouraged all these gaidim, Allah has come of a comma, how much more so if Rachav got saved for saving two people, my ancestors encouraged all these people to convert and become Jewish. So that's just a piece over there. But over there, you see two things. First of all, Chizkiyahu mentions the merit of Rachav Hazayna. And second is that you see over there that uh, he brings Reb Shimon Yechai that she has Mishpah. Yeah, yes, yeah. question? No? Okay, if there's no question, I'm going to mute everyone again because of noise. You can unmute yeah. yourself if you have a question. Now, we were going to discuss the heroes of this week's Haftarah, and of the three heroes, we got distracted, and we only got to one of them properly, and the other two heroes are a, a Kalev, and um, the other two heroes are Kalev and Pinchas. Just to mention about Kalev, we have a few amazing things, starting with the Parsha, and then in Sefer Yeshua. In the Parsha, we see that Kalev goes, first of all, by Yavayat, Hevrein, Kalev of all, leaves the other spies and goes to Hevrein, Vinishtateach, Al-Kivrei Yavis. He davened by the Maras Machpelah that he shouldn't be influenced by the other spies. Later, we find that when the spies gave a bad report, it says, Vayas, Kalev, he silenced everybody, El Moshe, he got everybody to listen. He starts screaming, is this all that Ben Amram did? Is this all Moshe did? So people thought he was going to say bad. And because they were all, they thought, oh, now we're going to hear bad. Kalev is Moshe's brother-in-law. So they were all quiet. And then Kalev said, is this all? Look what else he did. He split the sea. He brought down the mun. He brought the sloven. We'll be able to go even to the, if he tells us to make windows and go up to heaven, we'll succeed even in that. So you see that Kalev had um, as another posset where it says that Kalev had a double, he played two sides because people until the end did not even know which side he is on. And that's why when it's promises, when he promises in the, that Kalev is going to get the city of 
later, Meish Rabbeinu says, yes, in Yud Dalit, Chav Dalit, Va'avdi Kolev, Ekev Hoiso Ruach HaCheres Imoy, Kolev has a different spirit. And I therefore, I will bring him to the land that he came there. Vizara Yerishena and his children will capture it. So Rashi brings there again, he was to the Maraglum, he said, I'm with you. But his heart was for the truth. And that's why he had the ability to silence them. Because everybody thought Kalev was on the side of the Maraglum. And that's why it says in Sefer Yehoshua that I told him what's in my heart. And because of this, because Kalev went to Hebron to Davin, Kalev inherits the city of Hebron. There is an amazing story in Yehoshua Perek Yudalit about Kalev getting the city of Hebron. Over there it says in Yehoshua Perek Yudalit Pasuk Vav, the people of Yehuda come to Yehoshua and Kalev ben Yefuna Haknizi, he's called Haknizi because his stepfather was Knaz. His father died when he was very young. He says, you know that Hashem spoke to Moshe about me when I was, I was 40 years old. I was sent as one of the spies and I spoke Kasherim Levovi, which Rashi there says again that he had Echad Bepevi, Echad Belev. All the people with me demoralized the people and I did what Hashem wanted. And Moshe then said that they, that they won't have inheritance and I would, and I would get Hebron and Hashem kept me alive. It's 45 years since that moment. I was 40 years old when I was sent as a spy. Now I'm 85 years old. And Kalev says, I'm still strong. At age 85, Kalev did not age in any way. I'm still very strong. Just as I was when I was 40 years old, the day that Moshe sent me, the same level of strength that I had then, the same level of strength that I have now. I am able to go to war, and to go out, come in, I can lead a war. And now you have this mountain, there's giants there, so let me fight them. And Yeshua blesses him, and Kalev goes and fights the four giants. Hevrin was called Kiryas Arba because he got the four giants. Arba, the biggest of the giants, and everything, the Vahadat Shaktam and Muhammad after Kalev won this amazing battle. So you see this amazing battle that Kalev wins at age 85, how he fights and captures the giants more or less himself, or with helpers from Yehuda, whatever, but still quite amazing. Now, to mention about, I said I would deal with a bit about the family of Kalev and Pinchas. And uh, maybe we'll start with Kalev first. Kalev, as people know, first of all, people are aware that Kalev marries Miriam. However, quite interesting about Kalev marrying Miriam, that Miriam, it says, was called Azuba. She was forsaken. Miriam, even though she had the finest brothers, Moshe and Aaron, but still she was very sick and she had an awful looks and she was very hard for Miriam to get a shidduch. No one wanted to marry her. But it mentions that Kalev saw he wasn't interested in outer things. Kalev was interested in, just to mention, he brings here, Kalev has a lot of names. He says over here, Ashkur uh, Kalev, why is he called Ashkur? Shehushkaru panav his face became blackened from fasting. 
He's called Avi who felt for her. He dedicated his life towards Hashem. He's called Mered because he rebelled against the Meraglim. And it says, um, by the way, Kolev, I say he married Miriam, which is true. Kolev actually had two marriages. I don't know if it's at the same time or one after the other, but there's a Gemara in Megillah that says, these are the children of Bisyo. Bisyo is Basio Basparoi, and that Mered married. So it says, Yavai Kolev, Shemorad Batsas Meraglim, Kolev who rebelled against the Meraglim should marry the daughter of Paroi, Shemorda Begilule Beisavia, who rebelled against the idols of her father. So Kolev first marries Miriam, and then much later, he marries Bisya Bas Paroi. Um, just to mention that when Kolev has a son, Hur, who was, the lead, who was one of the leaders of the Jewish people, when Moshe goes up to Harsinai, uh, Hur is put in charge together with Aaron of the Jewish people. He tries to stop them from the Feito Eagle, and it gets a bit of a tragedy. Kolev's great grandson, Bitzalel, who is the one who built the Mishkan is a great grandson of Kalev, Bitzalel ben Uri ben Hur Lemate Yehuda. So Bitzalel is a great grandson of Kalev. It actually mentions Kalev is 40 years old when he goes as one of the spies. His great grandson Bitzalel has to be bar mitzvah 13 to build the Mishkan. So the Gemara in Sanhedrin men, or Sanhedrin Bavabas, I can't remember which it is, that the uh, Kolev had got married very young and Kolev became a great grandfather when Bitzalel, his great grandson is 13, Kolev is 40, which is a 27 year age difference between Kolev and his great grandson, which means that Kolev and his son and his grandson all became fathers at age nine, which generally the Gemara says is impossible because a person can't have a man can't have mar proper marital relations till age nine. And the Gemara says Kalev is an exception and his family are exceptions. And Ein Lemeidin Midoides Harishayim, it actually mentions about Kalev. Kalev's father was actually not Yefune, but Chetzrein. He's called Ben Yefune. Shepona Me'atzas Meraglim. He turned away from the plans of the Meraglim. It also mentions that when um, when Moshe died and they forgot 3,000 halachas, Kalev was the one who lost the most sleep and couldn't deal with the idea that they 3,000 halachas were forgotten. And Kalev offered that whoever can work out the 3,000 halachas that were forgotten can marry his daughter Achsa. The story is mentioned both in Sefer Yeshua and Sefer Shaiftim. Uh, Kalev's half brother, Asniel ben Kenaz. Kolev and Asniel shared a mother, but they had different fathers. As I mentioned, Kolev's father, Chetzrein, died when he was very young. Chetzrein was an old man when Kolev was born. Chetzrein was over 170 when Kolev was born. And Kolev became an orphan at a very young age. And he was raised by Knaz. And Asniel was his half-brother. Kolev offered his daughter, Achsa, as a wife for anybody who works out the 3,000 halachis. Asniel, his half-brother, 
worked it out through the Yudmidas Shatoid and Nidreshes by him. And at that time, uh, Kalev wanted Achsa to marry Osniel. She refused. She said that this man, Osniel, the half brother of her father, is a, she calls him Eretz Hanegev Nisatoni. You gave me a barren land and Ben Odom Shein Bayella Torah. It's a man who only has Torah. He's not uh, capable in anything else. It, can't marry him unless you'll set him up, set us up financially. She convinces Osniel to ask for a field. Uh, he, the colleague gives him financial assistance. This Osniel, who was originally rejected by his wife because he was a layutzlich, he wasn't capable. When Yeshua passes away, he becomes the next shayfi who saves the Jewish people. There's a famous drasha that Osniel ben Knaz says um, that uh, Hashem, you have to. Osniel ben Knaz demands of Hashem that you have to save the Jewish people, whether they are deserving or not. And Osniel wins a tremendous victories. Where's the Osniel? Osniel demands of Hashem. Yep, Osniel demands of Hashem to say here, but he, it says by Osniel, Vatihi Olov Ruach Hashem. Osniel, Kolev's half brother, had a spirit of Hashem. Rashi brings Dorash Rabbi Tanchuma that Osniel looked at what Hashem said to Moshe. Roi Roisi as Oniyami. I saw the affliction of my nation. What is Roi Roisi a double lush? And he says, I see the Jewish people are going to sit in the golden calf, and still I see the Jewish people. So Asniel says from the word we learn that whether the Jews are meritorious or whether they're guilty, you have to save them either way. And Asniel gave this drasha that Hashem has to save the Jewish people regardless. And he impresses Hashem. And because of this drasha that Asniel made, Hashem actually saved them. Okay, we are running very late. So I think I'm going to stop now.